everybody, I'm Dr. Deb, and welcome to another episode of PTSD and Beyond. Welcome to the PTSD and Beyond podcast, where we give you insights into post-traumatic stress, trauma recovery, healing, and beyond. I'm Dr. Deb Lind, and in each episode, I have a conversation with a guest who will stimulate your mind, touch your heart, and connect with your spirit, and also give you a greater understanding of yourself and others on this healing and recovery journey walked by so many of us before, wounded healers with lived experience and heroes. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into possibilities and purpose, hope, and inspiration. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. One last thing, guys, before we dive into today's episode, if you'd like an ad-free experience and like early access to new episodes and special events, I want to let you know you can join us at patreon.com. That is patreon.com forward slash PTSD and beyond. All right, let's do it. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and beyond. Before I introduce our guest today, I'm really excited to share with you how grateful I am for the people who come on to the podcast. Everybody who comes on here is a person who, they have a spirit about them. And the spirit is giving. That's one thing that I've recognized about our guests and people who come on to share their stories with us. And what makes it so special is the types of conversations that we have are real. We recognize that we're, we're all people and we all have needs. We all have the desire to acquire information in a way that makes sense for us to be better people. And today's guest is someone who has been practicing in the wellness area for over 40 years. And what I find most fascinating about today's guest, uh, there's many things that I find fascinating about this person, but one thing in particular that I find fascinating about our guest today is their commitment to wellness. 40 years. That's a hell of a long time. <laughs> I mean, and I, I laugh when I say this because so often we hear about how disciplined are we? How determined are we? You know, all your resolutions would have happened if you were only just so determined. Our guests are determined people. They show, every guest that comes on has shown determination perseverance, and the will, as well as the desire, to be committed to something. And when we're committed to something, that's part of our passion and our purpose. And today's guest is a retired naturopath who founded the spiritual phytoessencing. Now, what does that mean? It's a deep soul level healing work with using essential oils, as well as looking at 
the way that herbs affect us, the way that energy affects us, the way that we can work with cellular salts and synthesis of different types of essential oils and and the compatibility of ourselves as human beings with the other things that nature naturally provides. The things that nature already provides to us. Again, this person's been practicing for over 40 freaking years. So they have a lot to share with us today. And the other thing I'm really excited about bringing our guest on today is they talk about things from a deep soul level perspective. So none of this, well, we need to focus on the scientific evidence because we do know that there are things that we don't understand yet completely. So our guest today is Dr. Bruce Burkowski, who utilizes wholeness. So combining traditional Chinese medicine, psychology, color therapy, gemstone healing, wisdom from many different cultures, as well as classical homeopathy, aromatherapy, and even modern medicine. So guys, I hope you enjoy today's episode. And before we start, could you please go on to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating or wherever you're listening to the PTSD and Beyond podcast, give us a rating so that way we can continue bringing this information as well as our amazing guests on a grander scale. And we have a really cool thing to announce in today's episode. So let's get going and start that. And thanks for being here today. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and Beyond. Thanks again for joining us another week. And I want to just go right ahead and segue in today's guest. I'm so excited to have you on, Dr. Burkowski, because you're going to talk with us about everything from aromatherapy and how do we use it functionally, functional medicine, and all of your wisdom and insights. I hope when we uh, talked earlier, you were sharing about a different process and a pathway to healing about letting go. So guys, let's give a, a heartfelt PTSD and beyond welcome to Dr. Burkowski. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. When we talk about the benefits of aromatherapy and when you meet with patients, I know one of our conversations we had, you, you're talking about you know, a brief assessment that you do and then you go ahead and, and help a person with understanding the value of aromatherapy and the value of non-medicinal therapies. Can you talk with us a little bit about your practice, yourself, and and ways that all of that connects with helping people heal from trauma? So I I should begin by differentiating between aromatherapy and what I do. Uh, Aromatherapy is basically clinical work. So uh, clinical work in this modern era is symptomatic work. Uh, There are symptoms uh, and you're using certain substances. If you're in the medical profession, you're using pharmaceuticals. If you're in natural medicine, you'd be using something such as, such as essential oils, and you're trying to ameliorate those symptoms, be they physical or emotional. Uh, what I do is, is a system that I have developed, I've been developing over the past 30 years or so, close to 30 years, uh, which is called spiritual phytoessence. 
And spiritual phytoessencing is quite different. Uh, basically, when you're working as an aromatherapist, you're working you're working primarily with the chemical structure of the oil. The chem, you know, you're, you're looking at the chemistry of the oil and you're saying, well, this chemical component is known to be supportive of the immune system, and this one is known to uh, to downregulate the nervous system, and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, there are some symptoms that uh, that are known associated with those oils. And you're trying to just help the person calm down or alleviate the cough or reduce the pain and so forth, um, which it's which is perfectly uh, w- wonderful work. Uh, in spiritual phytoessencing, it's quite different. Spiritual phytoessencing is a psycho-spiritual art with the understanding that plants are alive and anything that's alive uh, isn't sold, not just human beings, but everything that's alive isn't sold and anything that's in sold has being. And so somewhere along the line, back in the 1990s, while, while I was practicing, um, I was uh, looking at this and understanding that from this particular perspective. And I came across something in Kabbalah, which is Jewish mysticism, which says that the human soul is constructed of plant, human and animal soul components. And for that reason, human beings can relate to plants on a soul to soul level. And so that set off something inside my mind. And I said, well, if I can understand each of the oils as an individuated soul in the same way that each human being is an individuated soul and find what's common in that oil with this person, then analyze an individual and see what their inner archetypal components are. In other words, what we see of a person, the symptoms that they present with, uh, the their reactional modes, how they react to different stresses and, and so forth. All of those are images of underlying archetypes which are associated with the soul. So if I could work on the archetypal level rather than on the archetypal image level, the symptomatic level, then I'd be getting more, more towards the core of the case. And so I went ahead and I started analyzing each of the oils from this synthesis perspective that I have developed. Uh, using all different systems of understanding, Chinese medicine, homeopathic medicine, anthroposophical medicine, conventional uh, anatomy and physiology, of course, aromatherapy, uh, and so on and so forth. And I put all of this together, and I developed, at this point, about 125 profiles of 125 oils. So these are all typologies, the patchouli type, the eucalyptus type, the peppermint type. Now, each person is a combination of all of different ones. They're all different lights uh, lighting up together. And so what I do is after I do my analysis of the case, I match, at, such as in painting by numbers, I match specific oils to specific archetypal elements in this person trying to create a portrait in oils that is a reflection of who this person really is on that inner level, on that inner true nature level, rather than the outer more survival self level. And then when the person uses this blend, which is basically a representation or a mirrored image of who they are on that deeper level, it spurs a return to the beginning of that person's self before what Herman Hess refers to as the great detour, where you move off into this more idealized self. And the more you move away from your true nature, the more you're going to have this, more you have this schism between who you really are and who you are uh, acting as in the outer world, the more you're going to be subject to all types of imbalances, including emotional imbalances. So it's it's different in that sense, but that is my my basic and uh, operation, both as as a naturopath. I'm retired, but as a naturopath and on this other level, uh, working on a psycho spiritual level, is always to work fundamentally, always to work in the core of the case, 
and not get hung up on the idea that the symptoms, the most dominant symptoms, the most urgent symptoms are the case. You have to be able to look around the symptoms and see the individual. Yeah, you know, I, I like how you um, articulate the work as well as identifying the compatibility with the person, because I find that oftentimes while we can have clusters, right? Clusters tell us, I don't want to say stereotypes, but clusters tell us, you know, the things that happen most often. And then we have outliers and outliers can also tell us a different story um, of something that we've missed. The schisms, I'm wondering, and thank you again for clear, you know, communicating this clearly for folks to understand what the work that you do with plants as well as on the psycho-spiritual level. The schisms, can a schism be an incompatibility that is then erupting as a symptom? Exactly. Uh, what you Let's take PTSD, uh, for instance. Now, PTSD is a trauma, especially in older folks where the PTSD occurred later on in life, let's say in adulthood or later years, uh, is a trauma that's imprinted upon an original state or upon a, a specific constitution that is already in place. Uh, and basically, just to put this in different term, terms of traditional naturopathic work, is that when you're looking and when you're viewing cases, uh, there are two parts to that case. There's the general state. What is the general state of the individual? And then there are the local effects of the general state. And in modern medicine, the local effects of the general state are what then are named as the disease. Yeah. So even in a even in a uh, something really uh, uh, you know intense uh, as a disease such as cancer, uh, the tumors are the symptoms. They are not the disease. There's an underlying disease that are giving rise to the tumors. Right. So, of course, you need to ameliorate those local effects. Of course, you need to do that type of thing. But unless you're working the underlying general state, then you're missing most of the case. And you're not moving towards wellness. You're moving towards control of the disease rather than the creation of well-being. So the same right. thing is true on, on, a, on a PTSD level as well. Yes, you have to do things to in order to control the symptoms because they can be so intense. Uh, that uh, it's it's quite serious, quite dangerous. Uh, but at the same time, you can't lose track of, well, who is this person? Who, right. are, who What were they like before this happened? What, what needs to be rectified on that deeper level? And then not overlook the basics that are so overlooked in modern practice. And that is, what are they doing wrong other than, you know, this trauma? What are they doing wrong nutritionally? What are they doing wrong in terms of their breathing, in terms of their sleeping, in terms of their posture? Uh, there are certain fun fundamental elements of life that you need to to survive, and that's fresh air and pure water and pure food and sunlight and rest and emotional poise and good posture, sufficient exercise, sufficient warmth. Are they getting those fundamental elements? What's missing in this case? Correct those underlying things, create a matrix, a context for the case to build your trauma case onto that and then do the best you can to remove that layer of trauma while working the underlying case. Just trying to suppress those symptoms and control them, you're going to get into a situation where a lot of people get into where you're building a drug disease on top of an organic disease. And for the practitioner, especially, you can't tell the two apart after a while. You don't know which symptom is causing what, and it becomes very, very difficult to treat. So uh, my, my advice is always work fundamentally. Don't overlook something like 
yeah, I eat sugar, you know, but that's not re- the reason I'm like this. Well, it may not be the reason you're like that, but it's not enabling you to walk this back uh, to a to a state of health because health, emotional poise is part of a healthy state. And you need to create that healthy state and not isolate what you're doing and say, well, this is this is what's wrong with me and all the rest of stuff I'll get to later when I get this under control. But it's just, you know, that's it's really putting the cart before the horse. How do we move from a state of being so focused on the symptom to, you know, to actually look at the broader picture? Because sometimes what I find is that people will will stay with the the label, for example. I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week that the label doesn't define who we are. The label is to help us understand and give us information. So how do we help people that are listening right now? And thank you so much for whoever's listening to us. And yes, I'm going to go ahead and announce it. I know that Dr. Bukowski already knows this information, but PTSD and beyond is now uh, within the 100, I wish 100, boy, that was a good slip right there. The 1,000 within 1,000 global podcasts to listen to. There will be a day where we are at the 100 and we'll have to have you come back on since we said it here. I'll take that as a premonition. But how do we get circling back? How do we get people to focus on the bigger picture and not be so uh, myopic, if you will, and, and, and staying with almost like holding on to that that clutch of but this symptom? How do we how do we help people to open their uh, vision to see themselves as a whole person and not one specific symptom. Well, there are many, many different specific measures you can take. And some of the things I'm going to be saying right now sounds sort of simplistic. Because if, if you've been uh, having this di- di- tremendous difficulty with PTSD, it seems like there has to be some really complex answers that you haven't gotten to because you've tried a lot of things and, and a lot of things haven't worked as well or at all as you would want. But there are certain answers that I'm um, just giving you a few things that are just suggestions, not answers. Just everybody is different, but there are some basic things. And uh, if we go back to really one of the most basic things is breathing. And uh, the reason for this is, is that the breathing controls your mind. Anybody who meditates knows that. And meditation is uh, gaining in popularity tremendously. There's an old, uh, there, I believe it was in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the Hindu holy book, the Bhagavad Gita says that the mind is like a chariot driven by wild horses. In order to get those horses back under control, you have to control the breath. Uh, I know there was another saying, uh, I believe it's from the Indian tradition as well, that he who only half breathes, only half lives. So uh, if your breathing is not correct, if your breathing is not, which is, of course, is a pandemic symptom, is not being able to breathe properly. People right. do not breathe properly. Right. Uh, they breathe from the top half of their lungs. When you're supposed to breathe abdominally, if you watch a baby, you'll see its abdomen rises and falls. And that's because the diaphragm is going all the way down to expand the lungs. And it's going all the way up to push the air out of the lungs. And uh, one of the things that was completely missed during the current pandemic is to emphasize the need to oxygenate, to ventilate, because oxygen is your greatest antiseptic. There is nothing in nature that can compete with oxygen. But nevertheless, I'll give you a simple exercise for those of you watching. You want to practice something very, very simple. Uh, Just try this. Uh, Inhale to a count of six, hold to a count of six, and exhale to a count of six. And do this for, begin with one minute. Uh, Don't try to force yourself to do anything. 
you know, anything heroic. Uh, just try with one minute and you'll begin to see that as you begin, as your breathing starts to slow down, you notice that that train of thought, that never ending train of thought that's running through your mind begins to slow down. It's beginning to slow down. Now you can you can start to focus. And actually, once you begin the breathing, meditation is nothing more than watching your thoughts and letting them move by by clouds. There's no specific method that anybody has to do. Just do whatever works for you. Uh, you don't have to go for any type of training, but just do the breathing. And I would do this breathing, begin with one minute a day, and then do one minute three times a day, then two minutes three times a day. And before you know it, you'll want to do these things on your own. Uh, I'll mention one more thing. Again, highly fundamental and highly simplistic, which you've heard a thousand times before, and you may be tired of hearing, but it is the truth. And that is you have to eliminate sugar from your diet. Now, this is not because I'm you know, I, I don't want people to have fun with desserts. I, hey, look, you know, I like this stuff and I want you to have fun. I want you to have a good time. But here's what happens, just so you can understand, is that the nervous system, there is a dynamic relationship between the nervous system and the endocrine system, between your nervous system, your brain, your nerves, your spinal cord, and your endocrine glands, your hormonal glands. And among these glands is the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands are your fight or flight glands that respond to stress. And if you've been watching, uh, Deb's program for long enough, uh, you know that PTSD, uh, the adrenals are going to be coming into that, that, that this is where your fight or flight reaction is going to be part of that. And uh, that's one of the things that becomes what we call in spiritual fight of the acute miasm. You have, you're in an acute reactional mode that when challenged by particular stresses, you react re acutely because that's the template that you established uh, during that, that um, during the initial trauma. But what happens with, with, uh, when you eat sugar, is uh, you get this this burst of sugar going into the bloodstream that the endocrine system has to respond to. And one of the glands that has to respond to it is your adrenal glands. And the more you stress your adrenal glands, the less ability you're going to have to move backwards, to walk backwards out of that acute miasm. So uh, one of the things you need to do is you need to allow the system to come down, to move into a more parasympathetic mode the opposite of the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic mode, the resting mode, you cannot overstimulate. Overstimulation is going to lead to two things. First, it's going to get you overamped. But over time, overstimulation will always end up being in uh, where you're going to be in an exhausted state, adrenal exhaustion, where your nervous system is now enervated. So you're moving from a state of hyperactivity to hypoactivity. And once you move into that rut, it is really difficult, unless you really understand how, to move out of that state that is a, a composite of anxiety and exhaustion and depression all mixed into one ball. So catch it on the fly. Catch, before it hits the bounce, catch it on the fly and eliminate that one thing as your beginning point. Uh, begin, remove those things you're reacting to in your diet so your body can calm down and your brain can calm down. And you can begin to work on the deeper problems that uh, that are in this deep psycho-spiritual emotional level. What's the connection with adrenal fatigue and cortisol production? I don't know this. I have to look it up. I'm assuming that there would be. I don't know the science. I mean, I presuming that there's some sort of studies or correlation between. Um, well, two thoughts I have is one is about the adrenal fatigue, and then the correlation between adrenal fatigue and cortisol production. Well, the, the cortisol cortisol is a, ne a necessary hormone. I mean, without cortisol, you, you're not going to be alive uh, without cortisol. The problem with cortisol 
is when you overstimulate the adrenal glands. And I haven't mentioned this because I didn't I didn't want to lose even, even more fans out there, but coffee is not a not a great thing. You have to <laughs> understand that how coffee works is that caffeine stimulates the uh, adrenal glands and the adrenal glands stimulate the liver to convert glycogen stored animal starch into glucose so you can have more sugar and you, and you're feeling really good so after a while what you're doing is, is you're you're stepping on the adrenals who are then stepping on the liver who are then who was then stepping on the pancreas to secrete insulin to get it back all under control again uh, to get your blood sugar under control but basically what happens is that when you get really stressed and you're eating a lot of sugar and you're taking stimulants you get a lot of cortisol production which is raising your blood sugar uh, to respond to a stressful situation the prop and, and also one of the things that happens when you're eating improperly and you have a lot of stress is you increase your inflammation level yeah now if you take a look at the medical research now you begin to see that re- that inflammation is the part of every single chronic disease known in med- in medical science inflammation is right in the middle of it now inflammation yeah. is a natural process that you need to survive on a daily basis to control uh, various immunological events inside the body inflammation is an essential part of that but when it gets out of control it starts to become part of the problem it starts to destroy your tissues right. so cortisol the cortisol levels start to cause destruction in the body and um you'll start to lose uh, calcium mass from your bones uh you'll start to get inflammation in your blood vessels uh everything will start to deteriorate from the cortisol so you don't want to get rid of cortisol. You want to downregulate the action of the adrenal glands. You don't want them to constantly be reacting. So I'll yeah. say just, just one last thing. I'll turn it back to you. Is when people think of stress, they think of oh my job, my marriage, you know, uh, my bill, the bills I have to pay, the kids. Uh, but that's just one type of stress. There's something called physiological stress. The things that you do to yourself, how you eat, how you how you do not have rhythm in your life, how you lose sleep, how you do not exercise are all forms of physiological stress. And the body will respond to these stresses in the same way it does to emotional stresses. And eventually it's going to cause this deterioration in all the tissues in your body. And it'll be very, very difficult to walk your way back out of this, this situation you're in uh, with your PTSD. That's why one of the things when I go to the gym and I also see uh, other um, fitness facilities where you walk in and the music's really loud and they have like the, these group fitness and the person's got a speaker and they're yelling. And I'm thinking to myself, we have so much information that continuously amplifies the adrenaline in our body to the point in Seeley's work, Han Seeley's work actually showed this too, where the, um, the animals on the experiments would literally collapse and people are surprised at why there's a sense of exhaustion. Why am I so exhausted? Why am I so tired all the time? Because you're so fatigued from this constant adrenaline, adrenaline, that pumping that eventually the body just says, I can't do it anymore. You know, the, the body actually, you know, tells us first, I just can't do this anymore. And which is why I appreciate the practice. I don't even want to call it a practice because it's not a practice. I, I've made a promise to myself that whenever, you know, things just get a little bit too much, then it's like, okay, stop. That's it. And I go and I do my meditation and I always feel better. It's a promise I made to myself. Even if I can't do the amount of time that I like to, 
the the and I was talking to somebody else about this last week. 30 seconds. There's research that shows 30 seconds to yes, hours, depending on what study you want to look at, because everybody responds differently. So whether it's somebody going and grabbing, you know, a, a mug of herbal tea or hot water or a, a you know, cold water, whatever you know, responds to an individual what they prefer. There's the the value of the yin. There's a value of the the calming state. It's interesting when I'll do a guided meditation, and I used before the pandemic would travel quite often to organizations to help with stress management programs, and we would do a guided exercise. And I would I'm smiling saying this because I would always say first. If you fall asleep, it's okay. If you start snoring, that's okay. It's a compliment to me if you fall asleep because it tells me where people are at. And I kid you not, so many times people would get in such a relaxed state and this brief exercise that they would fall asleep and start snoring some people. And it would be like, make sure you have a blanket. Oh, do I need this for? Because you might need it because you might fall asleep. And then I would have the room quiet. And other people would look around and, you know, the people who would then wake up, it's like they would feel so refreshed at this brief moment. I'm talking minutes of being together and doing, you know, this, this, these exercises. And we don't need to have the you know, full day of mindfulness. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate doing those because I make that kind of space. When we're first starting out in practice and exploring new habits, right? Developing new habits and exploring, you know, new techniques. It's always best to just start with moderation so you can see like, do I like this or is it something that eh, I'm not so sure about? Or maybe, uh, you know what, that one doesn't work for me, but I want to continue trying other things. And when I hear you saying specifically too, is that when we start exploring and paying attention to what's going on, there's a greater story here and we can make incremental small adjustments such as nutrition, such as um, it's not saying don't eat the ice cream. It's saying, well, maybe one day a week. I think that's a really important to help people understand different ways of what the how looks like. So you've already talked about a few. And what other how ways can you share with other people right now, Bruce? Okay, I will uh, I will do that. I will just uh, give you a basic dynamic that you should remember because this is really old-fashioned naturopathic medicine, which you don't hear about anymore. And there are two roots, primary roots to disease. And those primary roots to disease are autotoxemia, which means self-poisoning. I don't mean with arsenic. I mean with food. Uh, what you eat, what you use as cosmetics and so forth, what kind of chemicals you're engaging with uh, on a daily basis. And the other is enervation, which is a depletion of your nerve force below a certain level of functional efficiency. And the thing about that dynamic is, is that the autotoxemia creates greater enervation because you need more nerve force to get rid of those toxins from the body. And uh, once the you become even more enervated, you become even more toxic because there's not enough nerve force to get rid of those toxins from the body. So this is becomes this vicious cycle, which never ends. But I'm going to uh, just uh, complete with a few quick suggestions that I think are really important to understand. One of the most important things that's really necessary to heal is sleep. And most people 
uh, either don't sleep well or they don't think they need that much sleep and so forth. And one of the most important things in life is rhythmicity. Uh, you can look at health as being a state of rhythmicity and disease as a state of loss of rhythm. All of nature operates rhythmically. The birds fly south at a certain time of year and wild animals feed at certain times of day on certain bushes, trees and trees leaf out at certain times and flowers bloom at certain times. Everything has ryth rhythmicity. The, the movement of the earth and, and the constellations is eternal. But the human being thinks they can do anything they want at any time. And that's how you get sick. So always have rhythmicity and go to sleep at the right time. And once you commit to sleep, to having that sleep, don't let bright lights into your eyes. Stay away from any type of bright light. Don't look at your phone. Oh, let me just check my texts one last time. No, <laughs> because you're going to interfere with the pineal glands, production of melatonin, and that's it. Your night is shot. Just from that one act of watching the late, late show and then trying to go to sleep, not going to work. Looking at your computer one more time, checking your email, no good. Get yourself down and don't shine bright lights that will interfere with the function of the pineal gland producing melatonin at night. And number two, I'll just mention one nutrient, which is the one nutrient that I always begin with. Uh, I, I have formulated supplements for about 40 years now. I've been formulating nutritional supplements and herbal supplements for the market. And I will say the single most important nutrient to begin with is magnesium. Think of that. You, know, you, you probably thought I was going to say vitamin C, but it mag which is very important as well. But magnesium is the single most important nutrient. I'll give you just a few reasons why. Uh, first of all, magnesium is highly deficient in the American diet. 80% of all, uh, all people in the United States are deficient in magnesium. What has happened? Well, first of all, you don't need magnesium to grow plants with because you're using chemicals. Unless you're eating organically, there is no magnesium or, this, or those plants which were traditionally high in magnesium are now deficient in magnesium. Uh, number two, most diets, even highly processed ones, contain a lot of calcium because it's used as a preservative, as an additive. It's in all kinds of foods and drugs. And calcium competes with magnesium for absorption into the into the blood. So if you have a lot of calcium and only a little bit of magnesium, there's not magnesium. So what are some of the symptoms of magnesium? I'll give you on an emotional level, the number one is anxiety. If you suffer from anxiety disorder at all and you're not using magnesium, that's something you really need to investigate. I'll give you another one. Number two, depression. If you suffer from depression and you're not using magnesium, something you really got to look like. Nervousness, which is different than anxiety, just being nervous, then you really have to look at it. spasms of any kind, spasms in your legs, spasms in your gut, spasms in your eyelid, twitching, uh, some, some shaking of the hands that's not related to Parkinsonianism, that type of thing. These are all magnesium. So uh, there is a place to enter and uh, look at your magnesium. Don't get a cheap form like magnesium carbonate. Use a chelate like magnesium chelate or magnesium aspartate or magnesium citrate, magnesium glycinate. One of these that are common, they're not expensive. And one last thing, remember, in order for magnesium to be, to be used by your cells, to get into your cells, including your nerve cells, you need vitamin D. Vitamin D improves the absorption of magnesium into the cell. So if you take magnesium, but you don't have enough vitamin D, which is absolutely crucial for your immune system protection against things like COVID, then you're not going to get what you need from the magnesium. So consider vitamin D. Last thing, vitamin D3, natural vitamin D3, not vitamin D2, the synthetic. Make sure it's natural vitamin D. Now, I was going to ask you about vitamin D when you were talking 
And um, I find it fascinating how I grew my own vegetables this summer and uh, I did get organic seeds and I don't like bugs. It's not a, it's not a non-common thing. People that know me know that I'm not a big fan of bugs. Um, I'm okay with bees now, but we in Minnesota, the bugs here are very hardy. That's an understatement is that it can still be October. You know, we've hit the first frost and you still have mosquitoes coming out. Um, but I, what I recognized though, was how different things tasted and we do shop organic. And I've also noticed with my own family that I can identify who's been eating what, when they have been eating other things because their behaviors change. And, um, I can tell with either one of my kids, like, okay, so what's going on? And with my, my eldest, um, I actually said to them, so I'm noticing a change. And, uh, I said, do you have any chocolate? Cause you know, magnesium's in chocolate. Cause I was like, I know you don't have any vitamins with you. Do you got any chocolate? So, um, there is definitely a value of being able to identify within ourself that, so it's practice of use of self. Where am I? What is my current state? Where do I feel deficient? What can I do? Because what you're saying here is you're giving us practical application of the things of what we can recognize, what we can do to help ourselves, as well as people within our family, whether that's friend, family, or family, family, especially with magnesium and vitamin D deficiency. I take vitamin D because I'm so fair. And, um, you know, you wear sunscreen and I don't wear the chemical sunscreen. I wear the natural sunscreen because of that. And one of the other questions that I have for you real quickly is how does the pH level of, of what we eat and what we ingest affect also, um, the overall wellness of us? Do you find that things are more acidic based today because they're lacking the nutrients? Yes, it's, 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 uh, you know, there's a lot to discuss there, but I'll, I'll just go through that real briefly. Uh, the blood is alkaline. The fluids of the body are alkaline. The ma- maintenance of the alkalinity in the body is one of the keys to good health. You do not want to move into a more acidic, not acidic range, but in towards an acidic trend. Uh, you'll still be alkaline because if you really became acidic, you, you wouldn't even be able to exist. Uh, so basically you, can uh, encourage that by what you eat or discourage that by what you eat. Certain foods will encourage more alkalinity and certain foods will encourage greater acidity. And the reason for that is, is when the food digests and breaks down, it leaves an ash, a chemical ash, whatever minerals are in it. And those minerals will either be acidic or alkaline. Now, anything in the fruit or vegetable range is going to be alkaline. There are a few exceptions to that. Um, but for in general, 99% of the fruits and vegetables are going to be alkaline. So any meal you eat, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, the dominant food of that meal, when you look at it by volume on the dish, should be either more fruit than whatever else you're eating, like say more fruit than uh, walnuts, uh, or if you're eating fish, more salad than fish. Always have more of the alkaline food. So anything in the flesh food department, eggs, fish, meat, uh, fowl, and so forth, those are all acid forms. Those will create acidity in the body. So you want to create, accompany that by more alkalinity in the body. Another thing that's really, two things that are really important, this brings us back to the topic of how much water you drink. If you don't drink sufficient water, you're going to become more acidic. 
you have to have sufficient fluids in the body to maintain alkalinity in the body. And here's the last thing. This is a little complicated, but I'll leave with this because one of the scourges in modern life is what is now being referred to as gas gastroesophageal reflux disorder. I was just going to ask you about this acid reflux. Acid, it used to just be heartburn, but now, you know, they gave it a name, so it's a disease, but all it is, of course, is just a symptom. And one of the things you really have to understand about that is, is that the way it's being treated conventionally is really hurting people because it's not that you have too much acid in your stomach. It's because you don't have enough stomach acid in the stomach. And as a result of that, your food is maldigested, it ferments, it stays there too long, and it produces its own acids mixed with too much acid secretion over time. And what happens if you have too much acidity uh, over time uh, in the stomach, you start to reflux it. But most people have too little acid. And when you have too little acid in the stomach, the valve between your esophagus and stomach can't close. And yeah. so you reflux your food. So the idea is to make sure you have enough acid in the stomach. But here's the key. If your tissues are acidic, you'll have a uh, a reverse effect in the stomach. You'll have a decline of production of acid in the stomach. If your tissues are alkaline, the production of acidity in the stomach will go up and you'll have more normal acidity. You still may need to replace those acids uh, in the stomach in order to digest your food. So remember, acidity in the tissues will lead to alkalinity in the stomach. The stomach won't, the valve won't close. The, the lower esophageal valve or junction will not close and you will have reflux. So, okay, I know that we're we're getting close to the time here. How do probiotics then help with all of this? Do probiotics, they? Probiotics do help with, uh, with you know, acid reflux. They are helpful in that way. Uh, they help with the entire GI, the entire GI tract. Uh, when you when you are first born, uh, the uh, GI tract, the intestines are like an operating room, completely antiseptic. There's no bacteria. This is why it's so important that uh, children are breastfed, because what the colostrum does, the first uh, uh, secretion from the breast for the baby, is it implants these bacteria into valve, the microflora into valve that you need to keep maintain a healthy intestine. If you are missing those bacteria in the intestine, which maintain the ask the pH of the lower intestine, then ironically, the lower bowel, the colon, becomes alkaline. And it, it, you need to maintain acidity in the lower colon. They're called acidophilus, meaning acid loving, because they only will grow in an acidic environment. So they're growing down in the lower intestine. The thing to remember about the, the GI tract is this it's one long tube. It may have different names along the way, like stations along the subway. It has different names, but it's all one long tube. So when you when you derange one part of it, like the colon, and that's now it's alkaline when it should be acid, the whole thing is going to be affected. Yeah. And this is why you often see in people who have inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease or IBS that they start to get periodontal disease. So a problem that's down in the colon ends up destroying the gums and losing your teeth. So uh, by putting the probiotics in, you will affect the health of the entire GI tract, including health, having some benefit for the stomach, but it alone will not help with the acid reflux. I'll leave you with one little simple thing you can do for acid reflux that you may find helpful, you may not find helpful, and that is apples. 
uh, an apple, if you are subject to acid reflux, wait about 40 minutes after you eat or, or an hour at most after you eat and have a piece of apple, like a semi-sweet apple, like a Brayburn or a Fuji, uh, something like that. Not a really tart apple. And yeah. just have a piece of that. About 40 minutes after you eat, drink a glass of water. And this will help push the, the, the intestine downward, push the food downward towards the intestine rather than it's what it wants to do is move up this way. So have that and that'll cool off some of that excess acidity and then try the apple and see if that helps. It may help. In a lot of cases, it does. You know, I appreciate you sharing this information too, because when we do chat with people on a more intimate level in our community, people will often talk about stomach challenges. It's a very common, um, common conversation that we have. And when you were talking about the apples and water, it immediately made me think about the Mediterranean and, you know, my ancestors and, and how I would, you know, when I was a kid, what I would be served was always sliced apples after a meal, you know, not directly right after, but, you know, shortly after having a meal, there was always sliced apples. And, um, that really puts another, uh, I want to say validation to the phrase an apple a day keeps the doctor away yeah, <laughs> but in this it, case it, it wouldn't keep us certain, away from certain, seeing certain, you it certainly helps and remember the stomach in terms of psychospiritual nurturing uh, a lot of ptsd goes back to childhood and the, yep. the effect of nurturing is part of the issue all the way through uh, adulthood so as the stomach goes it's going to exacerbate everything on that deeper level there is no separation whatsoever between mind body and spirit that's just a, that's just something that was created back in the 16th century by Descartes, that they're all separate, uh, that only the body is a machine and nothing else exists, but it's nonsense. They're all the same. What you do to one, you do to all. What you do, what your mind does will affect your body. What your body does will affect your mind. Uh, don't try to separate them. See them all as one entity. I like that. What you do to one, you do to all. So how can people find you then? Where can people, if they want to go ahead and connect with you, where can they find you? Uh, well, if you want to just read and see what it is, you know, my articles and what I do, go to naturalhealthscience.com, www.naturalhealthscience.com. We now have a membership program, which just started uh, for $99 a year. You can be a member, not only get my articles, but I do classes. I do mailings, private mailings. We do something called cosmic light projections. I uh, provide blend formulas for people to learn how to blend and learn how to do a lot of the things that I do. And this covers both my natural health science system, which is my naturopathic work and my work with essential oils. So if you're interested in a membership program, go to naturalhealthscience.com and click on membership and uh, that that'll help you. And I, it's, it's, I provide a lot of information and it will take you all the way through 2023. Well, we'll definitely have the hyperlinks directly to um, your website and then also the subscription page for people to go ahead and check out. Um, otherwise, you know, let Dr. Burkowski know that you heard about him on PTSD and beyond. Again, it was a pleasure to have you with us today, Bruce. Thank you so much, Deb. Thank you for the invitation. It's, it, it was a pleasure. You're welcome. All right, guys, this is Dr. Deb with PTSD and beyond. Remember our motto here, and we really do mean it, is take what resonates and go beyond. We'll see each other again next week. <laughs>